Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. Yeah, we're going to look at what the Catholic Church, Scripture, and the tradition of the saints teaches about engaging in battle against the forces of darkness. And one of the greatest warriors in this battle, St. Ignatius of Loyola, let's ask for his prayers. All right, guys, really excited to be back in the studio with you guys. We have a very special guest with us today. His name is Dan Burke. Dan, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you guys. I'm I'm super excited to have him on the show. We've known each other for almost 10 years now, and uh, just the spiritual side of, of your ministry is absolutely powerful. I think I reached out to you years ago because you had a book on spiritual direction, which really helped me in my life. And so I got to know you more and more, and I've seen you develop. Now you're you're a co- he's the co-founder of the Avila Institute, which is a spiritual school for religious and lay people. Um, and now you, you're you're writing an, another book called Spiritual Warfare and the Discernment of Spirits. Uh, so we're going to get into that today. Um, I'm just fascinated by your personal story how you came about uh, where God developed this and put it in your heart to, to offer this to our church. And so as we dive into this, let's um, let's discuss just a little bit about your history and and what qualifies you and what what has uh, sparked you to, to get involved in the spiritual life of the church so deeply. Yeah. So just to be clear, I'm not qualified to do anything I do. Um, I, I think it's, he doesn't, he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. Right? Well, humility is a powerful uh, attribute in spiritual warfare. I see so. that with these guys well, all the time. I'm also not, claiming, <laughs> I'm not claiming any humility either. I, you know, uh, I, what I tell people is, is that I'm incredibly messed up. And so I need a ton of help. And so most of my work is first to uh, try to find my own way. Uh, I came out of a pretty uh, rough background and and find my own way to healing and to peace. And uh, and then by God's grace, he's given me a platform to then help others do the same. I mean, it's a, I think the first verses in Second Corinthians says that we are comforted with which the com- we comfort others with which with the comfort, you know, we, yeah, we, we give away what we Sorry. received. <laughs> right. Okay, right. I, I'm kind of irritated with St. Uh, Paul at the way he wrote that. It's just, okay, yeah, you're definitely not qualified. God's definitely <laughs> right. qualified you. Right, right, right. So, yeah, so it's just, that's the way it works, right? Yeah. The kingdom is we get healed and we help others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so talk a little bit about your, <clears throat> what you were healed from um, yeah. and, and, and where that uh, all began. Yeah, so I grew up in, in some pretty serious, abusive situation. The first Catholic I ever met fired a gun in my home and in between firing a gun in my home in an argument with my mother and beating her into the emergency room, he attempted to convince me the Catholic church was the one true true faith, which is a really lousy form of evangelism. (laughs) Yeah. And it just doesn't work, right? But uh, my mother was also involved in the occult. I mean, I love her dearly, but she was looking for answers. She's suffering. A lot of people do that. And unfortunately, Sometimes when you call, most of the time, God be praised, when you call into the darkness, there is no answer. In our home, there was an answer. And it was terrifying as a child. Uh, And uh, there was a demonic presence because of seances, because of 
consulting with mediums and all uh-huh. of that sort of thing. I mean, I'm more also Jewish and, and went to temple at the same time, you know, wow. which is also common, but nominally, you know, it, it, our faith was more a social construct than a real deep, uh, you know, Judaism. But anyway. Looking back, Lo, um, yeah. how did this affect you as a kid now that you've come on the other side and experienced God's love? I think just terror, you know, uh, most in, in total, almost total disorientation all the time. So I just struggled to survive. I mean, by the time I was 20, I was ready to put a bullet in my head yeah. and because I couldn't conceive, you know, when you leave abuse and you leave that kind of crazy environment, I moved out and I thought everything was going to be okay, but you don't leave you, that. You brought it with you. It yeah. With when you. you're in, I, I, when you've kind of been in hell, if you will, you, even, even when you exit it, you always take little pieces of it with you or big pieces in my case. And it just took years and years. So I came to Christ around 20, just desperate to find answers to suffering and by God's grace I came to to know him but I knew hope then so the gun put the gun away but I didn't know you know when Jesus said my peace I leave you my peace I give you not as the world gives that was a haunting thing to me but not a reality that's very curious I'm very curious to know because we did a show on you know, why people are leaving the church, what's preventing people from actually entering into the doors of the Catholic church. There's all sorts of things in this circumstance. I mean, there probably can't be a greater reason to stay away from the Catholic church after what you've suffered and that severe wound of, of being associated with this type of violence and hypocrisy. Right. And then you met the Lord and, and how, how did that, yeah, where Wound did you find Jesus? Like, how did you well, how did you find Jesus? In that? Well, and the worst part was, I I became a Christian in a Baptist church that was very anti-Catholic, so the theological framework of that church worked fit really well with my wounds, and it really kept me away for a long time. But the, the beginning of my journey into the Catholic faith was through a Jehovah's Witness, who said, "Hey, the you know the Catholic Church corrupted everything." I'm like, "Yeah, that's right." And then, uh, but and Jesus isn't God, and the bad guys won at the Council of Nicaea. I'm going, "Well, that's not true," but I don't know what's this council thing. So I just went and found a copy of the early uh, Christian Fathers, the Apostolic Fathers, first hundred years. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was doing, by the way. That's not really the book to get. Right. But I started reading that book, and of course, you all know what happens with everyone who reads those things honestly. They, you must end up Catholic or Orthodox, you know, something. That's what happened to me, reading Clement, Irenaeus. Right. I, you know, I was raised Catholic, but then, you know, as a teenager, everyone mostly tries to find themselves and they slip away from their upbringing. But um, I was at a bookstore, happened to read, saw this book, okay, Clement, Irenaeus. Mm -hmm. Um, I started reading it, then, you know, Polycarp, and I'm like, this is historically accurate. No other religion has actual historicity on its side and logic on its side. Mm-hmm. Young people are often so incredulous. Right. And then finding something that's historical, logical, really oftentimes meets that person where they're searching for something that makes sense in this kind of stage in your life where nothing makes sense. Right. Yeah. And and that was it for me. I mean, I had been listening to preachers, you know, like John MacArthur and and, uh, you know, uh, Walter Martin and all of that. And, and they were good guys and had a lot of good to say, but they, w- when I'm reading Polycarp, who's the disciple of the apostle John, who gave his life for his faith, I thought, so this guy gave his life for his faith. This guy, you know, sits pretty happy, fat and happy a few thousand years later. And he, and he discounts, this guy discounts all the context that says 
what does scripture mean by what it says? Polycarp was with John and they they had conversation after conversation about what Jesus said. This is all, you know, within a hundred years. I think maybe I should listen to Polycarp a little bit more or Irenaeus or, you know, what about what scripture means by what it says. And eventually I came to believe in apostolic succession. I was Calvinist soteriologically, uh, meaning uh, Calvinist in the sense of understanding how it is that we're saved. What's the gospel? Mm-hmm. And then I'm Catholic ecclesiologically because I believe in apostolic succession. And now, how, where do I go with that? What, what, so I became Anglican, of course. <laughs> well, you are going steps. all over the place. Right. Wow. Well, it's very, it's yeah. sort of really logical. I mean, I'm moving closer to right. apostolic succession. Yeah. I could see that. So when I converted to Catholicism, I had a collar and a cassock on because I was in seminary to become an Anglican priest. So, um, but I just became convinced that the Catholic Church was the one true faith. Of course, you know, Father, the reason that the uh, Eucharist um, uh, comes to to reality at your hands isn't because you have a great beard, of course. Oh, why, oh, thank you. Oh, wow. You wouldn't uh, qualify you must... this as a soap opera beard, would you? No, I, you know, I, I'm not going to deal with your past arguments. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, that is an uh, incredible validation. That, I feel this conversation so yes. has been going on for 18 months that his beard is... <laughs> Listen, okay. I'm just, okay, makes you guys feel better. I'm being nice. Okay? <laughs> but, uh, well, let me return the favor. Dan, you have a very nice beard as well, my friend. And I can change a tire, so I get to keep it. So, uh, so you know, the reason the reason that uh, the, 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 the host and the wine become the body and blood at your hands is because you can trace your authority all the way back to the apostles and to Jesus. And so the laying on of hands gives you that authority. And so once I decide, once I realize that, I'm like, okay, nobody has authority in the realm I live in to convey the sac, give the sacraments to us to mediate that grace. Only those who've had the laying on of hands through, throughout all time. And so that's, I mean, that's, this is a short version of how, yeah. I, why you I took the cassock off and realized <clears throat> you needed to put on some shorts. I get right. I, well, and I gave, <laughs> what's really cool though, is I gave my clerics to a young Catholic, uh, pre- a young man who's becoming a Catholic priest. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, it was really neat. I still have the, I still have the cassock because it, you can wear it as an MC in, ma- in some and, dioceses yeah. in mass. And, and yeah. I've done, I've, I've done it. It's too hard for me to get, there's some real, it's beautiful. And it's you know, impressive that you still fit into it. I do. I know. It's, I'm not like Ryan where it's just kind of, you know. Do you still fit in your cassock? Do you still fit in your cassock? I had, I, I don't know where. You have it, one from Gamorelli. Well, I have. I do have one from Gamorelli, but I had one old Jesuit, like old school style cassock, and I have no idea where that disappeared to. St. Anthony. But I a... probably, I, I am asking St. Anthony to help me out with that. But I have, I don't think I'd be able to fit into it. Right? <laughs> just leave, right just leave like buttons 15 through 17 out of the 33 unbuttoned. Well, the that, thing about the Jesuit, scandal, though, the Jesuit style cassock, it was actually just like one button here, a tie oh, I know up here. About, yeah. So it, it's a little different than than the yeah. typical Gamorelli or the typical gotcha. button. You just need yeah. an extension. <laughs> yeah, that's all. When you were going through all of that experience of just like study, did you begin dialogue or conversation with anybody in the Catholic Church, or was it just exclusively your studies? No, so I'm I'm in a uh, in an Episcopalian church that I was assigned to in 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 Parker, Colorado, as part of my work in seminary, and the priest who over was the pastor at that uh, parish was becoming Catholic under Shapu, 
Archbishop oh, Chaput. Wow. So it, there's a whole backstory to, so he began, he didn't tell me this, but he began to give me, uh, Scott Hahn and, uh, you know, Tim Gray and, and just, you know, some good stuff, some sem I needed some work on justification by faith. So he gave me some seminary lectures and, and then eventually he revealed to me that, Hey, I'm becoming Catholic. And, you know, so it's, Beautiful I mean, it's real story. providence, right? I mean, oh, God yeah. put me in that. He's the only one in that area, only uh, Anglican priest who was converting, and God put me in his little parish in Parker. Awesome. And you look at the providential hand of God that is so gentle that moves you in the direction of this healing, yeah. closer and closer, closer to the reality of the Catholic Church, and this beautiful apostolic heritage, and truly being reconciled to something that was completely from the furthest end of your radar, you would never enter a Catholic church right. no from way. your youth and your adolescence. No way, yeah. Now God shepherded you to this beautiful moment of, of entrance. What was that like for you? Well, and just to back up, I, I, there was no way I was becoming Catholic. So I went, I, went, um, I went Greek Orthodox because of Frankie Schaefer, if you guys know, he's a, the son of one of the most uh, influential Protestant philosophers in the last hundred years. Francis Schaeffer, he converted to Orthodoxy. They blew up Sola Scriptura for me. The Orthodox did. Uh, and then, uh, but they were really loved Mary and that kind of freaked me out. So I'm <laughs> like, okay, I can't be Orthodox. So then I, I went Anglican because of the, the, the soteriology and ecclesiology. But my, I was in an ang a very high Anglican Catholic. Like our liturgies are, are ad or are really... Uh, probably uh, ad orientum, they're the longer, you know, the second gospel. So it's kind of a mix between the Tridentine mass and the Novus Ordo in our time. Very beautiful, hour and a half long, uh, you know, incense always, you know. So it was very Catholic. And then my textbooks in seminary were Catholic textbooks. So I'm just, you know, eventually I'm just going, okay, I just need to go. But when I came in, the other thing that was drawing me in, it relates to what we're talking about today, is actually my exploration in Catholicism began more seriously through Catholic mystical tradition because I had a very, I mean, I, my conversion was radical, you know, and I, I've always been crazy for Jesus door to door and all that sort of stuff, evangelism, uh, and it's never really stopped. But uh, I was struggling with prayer and I was struggling with the interior life. And I came across a book compiled by a Protestant that was a bunch of Catholic mystics, but they were de-Catholicized. So Teresa of Avila was Teresa <laughs> de Ahumada, which was, of wow. course, her name prior to her profession. Um, I'll see that in some books, and I'm like, okay. Right. Yeah. But it helped me because I'm going, oh, wow, these there are answers to my struggles. And then I, I, but I dug and dug and realized, oh, well, this is a Catholic this is a Catholic, this is a Catholic priest, this is a Catholic saint. And so that began to draw me. So as I'm studying the Apostolic Fathers and the Catholic mystical tradition, it sort of converged in, in my conversion. But I forgot your question. I don't know if I'm answering. No, it. you're actually right. moving in that direction. Is this, yeah. And then when did you when did you walk into the doors of the church and, and your right of acceptance? Yeah, yeah. So I entered into RCIA in the summer of 2005. And uh, I was still enrolled in seminary at the time, which was kind of, I was really stressing about telling my bishop because I loved my bishop. He was a very good man. But uh, RCIA at uh, Our Lady of Loretto Parish in, in Parker, Colorado, wonderful folks. The head of the program was a Carmelite. And my primary influences in Catholic mystical tradition are and were 
uh, Carmelite, mostly Teresa of Avila and then eventually John of the Cross. And when she and I talked, it's like we connected, like at a very deep level, very few words, but very deep connection. So I was in RCIA and about, you know, that, that summer, I'm, I believe, I, you know, I came to believe, of course, that the, the, the graces of the sacraments are mediated through the priesthood, the Catholic priesthood. So it's really started to irritate me, frankly, sitting in mass and watching everyone else, all you people, taking the Eucharist. It really started to trouble me. And I, and I knew the faith better than I was being taught in RCIA. It's not just because I had argued against it for so many years. And I taught, you know, I taught a nine-month course in a, where it was attended by priests, Anglican priests, on a comparison between the 39 articles of Anglicanism and, and Catholic uh, teaching and contrasted them in Lutheran teaching. So it's like I knew the I knew I just needed to flip my I needed to flip sides yep. you know I did yeah. you know so uh, I went to uh, about uh, mid July I went to the head of the program and I said listen I'm cooked I believe the Catholic Church is the church that Jesus founded I believe in the magisterium I said I I thought I understood Catholic soteriology how we are saved and I don't and I and I married this Mary thing drives me a bit crazy I said but. I will submit because this is Jesus' church, and I will learn, and I will and I will conform my entire life to the teachings of the church. Um, please let me in now. I want to take the Eucharist. And so she said, "Well, let me let me check on it for you." And I think what happened is because my priest was converting under Shapu, there was a conversation there because he knew me when I first met Archbishop Shapu. He knew who I was by name. And I didn't know who, I didn't really, I didn't know him. So I think what happened is they got permission and then they called me back and they said, come next Saturday and we'll confirm you. And you'll, you know, you'll have your first Eucharist and uh, we'll receive you into the church. Beautiful. And I, and I, so I showed up, I had no sponsor funny enough because I was too early in and I was just on my own and. She, they said, will anyone sponsor him officially? Some old guy in the front view. <laughs> I'm an old guy, but, you know, said, yeah, I'll do it. I saw it. was like, great. Okay. So I, but here's the significance of it. So I'm, this is a Carmelite head of the program. I'm reading Carmelite spirituality. It's, it is my spirituality then and now. And uh, I was received and confirmed on the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Oh, oh look awesome. at that. Right in July uh, 16th. So without any knowledge that that was a feast yeah. day <laughs> or that, and it was, but it was a Marian feast day yes, too. I it's, love a, that. it's a retroactive awareness of grace. <laughs> right. That's what I call right. it. Right. And you see Our Lady there. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. So 2005 and, you know, it's just been glorious ever since. And I could, frankly, I could care less about the scandals. You know, somebody asked me, the other day. And of course, I know more than a lot of people know because I've been the president of EWTN News. And, you know, one bishop met with me, a good bishop, actually, I'll say who it was, Bishop Strickland, and said, is it really, is it really uh, as bad as it, as, as it seems? And I said, it's, it's way worse. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. McCarrick is not a Christian. McCarrick is not part of my church. Yeah. You know, those, that abuse and all that, 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 you know, who's, you know, who's my church? You guys are my church. Yeah. You, you know, you guys are the real deal. You guys love the Lord. There are people who've crept in who want to use the church as a means to achieve, to, uh, to cl- veil in secrecy and abuse people. Th- those aren't, that's not my church. Yeah, I mean, the sc- that's not Jesus's church either. The, right. The scandals mm-hmm. bother me deeply because of the grave harm they do to the people that are affected by them, but they don't scandalize me to where they shake my faith. Not at that's, all. I think that's, you know, 
an, an important distinction that you can definitely be concerned about scandals, but when they start affecting you, you know. But, but scan- you got to realize that that it affects other people. Oh, absolutely, and, it does. And in doing so, as the church, we are we need to go and run to their aid and yes, hold their hand, no doubt, absolutely, and bring them to the the realization that it's not. Like right. it, you don't need to worry about this. And, that, yeah. and that's precisely what pastoral care is all about. That's yeah. what being a good witness yeah. of Jesus Christ is all about. And having contact with the mystical tradition of the church, yeah. you could see how God pastorally cared for you all the way up to the point of introducing you to the Blessed Virgin Mary yeah. retroactively. Right. You're yeah. entering into the church. Clearly, you're seeing these mystical beginnings in your own spiritual yeah. development and look how God has guided you, yeah. and now you're guiding others. It's, it goes full circle back to right. what you were sharing before. And by pastorally caring for people that are, you know, really walking out of the church or would never even enter into the door of the church based on scandal, based yeah. on violence, based on horrific actions, yeah. you know, Jesus is in the middle of this church because he founded it. That's right. And there is a mystical tradition. That is the church. Yeah. And we could separate ourselves. It, it's it's hard to say. Okay, was McCarrick from his birth, and and from from when he was conceived, you know, separated from the church? Was he when he was baptized? At what point is we can all separate ourselves from grace? You can. We can all move away from this mystical tradition. Yeah, and right. and that's what's regretful, and that's what's heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, scandal. People who cause scandal give others poison. Mm-hmm. People yeah. who are scandalized. Scandalized by drink the poison. Are the poison. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to take this opportunity, especially because of this distraction and what it, how it harms people spiritually to like dive into our topic a little bit more spiritual warfare and, um, and listen to the spiritual aspect of your journey and how being, um, you know, someone who is around such darkness in this time of your quest for truth right? And finding truth and peace. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, that that's, yeah. So you're, you're finding truth, but how did the peace come through this, this, um, this process? Because, you know, you talk about it still today, like you're still affected by it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Well, and I think one of the reasons I wrote this book, by the way, cause it, it, it segues perfectly is to give people peace in the time of this, you know, we're in a storm. Yes. Their darkness is descending outside and inside the church yeah. and we need to be a light and we need to be free. But if we're not free, we can't help other people. So for me, uh, I became, you know, I became a Christian. I, I, I gained a sense of hope, put the gun away, you know, but then realized, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't have peace like Jesus promised. What does he mean by that? So for me, it's always, okay, I read scripture and I was voraciously reading scripture and I see something in it and it doesn't reflect in my life. Why? My question is why? Of course, this is God's word, right? It's totally reliable and trustworthy. So if I, if I'm, if I'm experiencing something contrary, that doesn't mean there's a problem with the text. It means there's a problem with me. So I studied the, the New Testament voraciously about suffering because I was suffering a lot, always had a severe uh, physical ailments, life-threatening even to this day. Um, and so why am I suffering? Why am I suffering emotionally, mentally, and physically? What is God's will in all of this? So I just began to read through the New Testament. And St. Paul really began to kind of give me a pathway to freedom. St. Paul experienced a lot of suffering and spiritual suffering and physical right. suffering and suffering that he inflicted on himself in his journeys and inflicted on him by others. I mean, St. Paul, 
doesn't get enough credit for the amount of suffering he was willing to go through for the Lord. Right. I mean, he's a Jew. I mean, he's, he's, he was a disciple of Gamaliel, who's, you know, in, in the book of Acts, yeah. there's an argument that he gives to how to deal with, I mean, he was a prominent Jew. It'd be like, you know, the, the lead rabbi in the world, if you will, or of mm-hmm. Jerusalem, which has actually happened, converting. But that that tears at the flat, it rips apart your entire social fabric. And, you know, you're giving up your whole life when mm-hmm. you do that. So for me, I began to study the New Testament and St. Paul uh, started to give me light, you know. So there's, there's uh, uh, he, he says in Romans 8, the, the, the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and joy and peace. What does that mean? Corinthians, he says that we war not against flesh, but against principalities and powers. So there's a battle. And then he says uh, that we, it's related to strongholds. Where are those strongholds? In the mind, right? Every argument raised up against the knowledge of God. So there's a battle there's the ability to have peace. There's a, he, he speaks of a peace that passes understanding, that transcends understanding. You know, the other passages that really bugged me, uh, St. James, canon all joy, right at the beginning, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, you know, so, and, and then the joy of being, how, how is it that the, the apostles could feel joy when they were just beaten and told they can't, everything's taken away from them? How do they experience joy when some of their compatriots are in the faith are hanging a hundred yards away on a cross. Um, their entire family has been taken away from them, all their rights and liberties imprisoned there. And, but yet they're told to have joy. That's nuts. That's nuts. Right? So I'm going, okay, if they had it, I, I can have it. I just got to find it. So it was this process and other passages, Romans 12, where it says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So what you're hearing, though, it's memorization, right? But that was part of the renewal process, replacing junk in my head, lies I was told as a kid, like your worthless piece of, can't say it on the show because you'd have to edit it out. No. (laughs) (laughs) We just won't be able to monetize this video. That's okay. Lies uh, that I was told, I had to begin to unravel them and begin. And then James 4, 7, it says, you know, uh, uh, draw near to God, resist the devil, resist the devil, uh, and he will flee from here. You draw near to God, he'll draw near to you, resist the devil, battle, principalities and powers. So I started to put it all together. It's the, it's the, it's the warfare, right? right? I mean, you started to see the battlefield. Yeah. That is really, really interesting because just yesterday we were speaking about that very section of the book of James in relationship to spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. And now I could see how God has taken you up until this point and entering into the arena of spiritual warfare by mystical tradition, because that (laughs) mystical tradition produces the fruits of joy and peace, which I absolutely love. Yeah, absolutely. So now before we get into kind of the finer points, the nuances and the tactics and the strategies of spiritual warfare, um, why don't you let everyone know about our sponsors and how that can help them in their life? I'd be happy to. We are most grateful for our sponsors. And I have to first start with Hallow. Hallow is the number one Catholic meditation and guided prayer application in the App Store today. Be sure to visit Hallow because... When you do, you'll see all sorts of prayer and meditation guided efforts that they have put together in a beautiful and most attractive way. From Teze to Lexio Divina to Rosary and to daily gospel reflections and so much more. 
This is a beautiful application that you should definitely have on your phone. And if you utilize this platform, you will truly be able to advance in not only your understanding of the Catholic tradition of prayer, but be able to cultivate that in your own practice uniquely to you. This number one Catholic meditation and prayer app is specifically out there for you to grow in your faith. We are so grateful for their work. We are so grateful for their sponsorship. And you should take a moment and check them out because they are truly at the very forefront of technological advancement and the new evangelization. So check out Hallow Catholic Meditations and Prayer App today. We want to tell you about our sponsor, Exodus 90. Exodus 90 is 90 days of prayer and asceticism, cold showers and devout prayer moving through the book of Exodus so that men could find greater freedom in Christ. This program is a tremendous program that over 20,000 men have already gone through, and you should consider becoming the very next member in this very powerful movement. Please consider to join Exodus 90 now. Check them out. You will not regret it. Ave Maria University, our sponsor, is an institution of higher learning in the Catholic tradition, and one that is very, very dear to me, as I am an alumnus and a graduate of 2008 from the new campus. We were part of the first graduating class, and it is awesome to see how much Ave Maria University has grown and has become not only the youngest Catholic institution, but one of the most powerful, driven in academics and faith. It is a university that appeals to all. And we'd like you to consider becoming a student at Ave Maria University, or if you know someone that is of age that may be looking at colleges and universities around the country, be sure to tell them about Ave Maria. There are over 30 majors. There's programs undergrad as well as postgrad, all the way up to PhDs in theology. You do not want to miss a chance to attend this university. It is surrounded by the oratory, this beautiful church in the middle of Ave Maria town, just 30 miles away from Naples and the beautiful beaches. It's in Southwest Florida. So the weather is beautiful, but the greatest thing and the most beautiful thing about the university is the community. The community life is a place where young people find belonging and most importantly, encounter Christ in the beautiful tradition of the Catholic faith. So check out Ave Maria university today. You won't regret it. All right. Thanks for that Padre. Now, you know, in talking about spiritual warfare, I think one of the foundational texts in the New Testament about spiritual warfare comes from Ephesians 6. Sure. And Ephesians 6 is, I mean, very directly St. Paul talking about battling against evil, uh, particularly Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 17. And right there, I mean, if you are in the midst of a spiritual battle, that's the first place that you can go to read that so you understand how to arm yourself with the armor of God. And that says, finally, brethren, be strengthened in the Lord and in the might of his power. Put you on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the deceits of the devil. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the world of this darkness, against the spiritual, the spirits of wickedness in the high places. Therefore, take unto you the armor of God that you may, able be, may be able to resist the evil day and to stand in all things perfect. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt with the truth and having the breastplate of justice. Um, this passage is St. Paul laying probably the foundations of Catholic spiritual warfare tradition. Yeah. And it's, it's so important and so beautiful and so robust and virile and manly and confident that if you're struggling with it, this is a place where you can start building that confidence. 
and and the confidence of entering into the battlefield and and realizing the darkness of the world you know the the violence that you experienced and and the setting in which your conversion began mm-hmm. this metanoia began you know looking back to the experience of what your mother suffered and you visually seeing that yeah you know um that type of combat you know for you to enter into this kind of reconciled moment now in your journey what has the battle been like for you you know and and what is what is that kind of how does that show itself in your journey your ministry yeah, and everything yeah. god's doing in your life now that's a great question i mean it was torment for me it, and it nearly wrecked me in one way though it helped me right because I know I'm sane and, uh, I, and I've, I've seen, I've visually seen the demonic as a child and it helped me. I think the Holy Spirit said to me, now you've seen uh, the darkness. Yeah. Now there's, there's an answer to that, right? There's know a thy enemy. Right. And so it helped me to really, I, I, I think I have the gift of faith because of that in the sense that I've never doubted since I came to Christ. I know some people struggle with that. I don't struggle with yeah, that. One of the principles of spiritual warfare is that, the devil and the dark forces are real. They are part of the mystery, the mystery of salvation, yeah. and that God permits us to be put to the test. No doubt, but then he, the, but there's a reason for the test, and the exactly. test is for our purification, for our healing. So I, you know, I went through the New Testament. I, I basically d- developed a little steer, spiritual warfare strategy where it, James says, "Resist and he'll flee," and we have the mind and all of that. So I began to identify the lies that I believed as the strongholds from the passage that you just read. And then I would just say in Jesus name, I reject the lie that I'm a piece of blank that I heard my mother say about me to a friend that just ripped into the core of my being and wrecked me for decades. Right. I'm sorry for that. But I said, I said, I'm, I, I reject that lie and I accept the truth that before the foundation of the world, Ephesians one, I was set apart uh, in the Psalms that I was knit together in my mother's womb, that I have an eternal destiny that God brought me into existence uh, at, because he loves me and he wants me, he wants me to be with him eternally, you know? So you begin to replace the lie in Jesus name. That's the, that's how you fight the passage you read, Mm -hmm. that's how you literally do it in Jesus name. And then you say, you know, in Jesus name, I accept the truth. Lord, help me to live in that truth. And you just, every time you feel and experience the lie, you replace, you fight it. You no, this is my mind, not yours. Yeah. A couple other principles I think that relate to that of spiritual warfare is number one, the battle is already won. Jesus Christ won that battle. And the devil, another principle is that the devil should not be paid too much attention because his victory the victory over the devil has already been won, but right. you can't ignore it because ignore he's it. still, yeah. it's like the- You don't want to get cocky. It's right? like the battle of New Orleans that happened after the end of the war of 1812. It still was a battle, even though the war had already been won. Yeah. All right. And be, making sure that you're, did you like that reference? I, yeah. <laughs> you don't know that reference. That's okay. <laughs> Is he a historian? Is that <laughs> He's everything yeah. nerdy. <laughs> but yeah, but understanding that that- <laughs> That would have killed on NPR, okay? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, submitting yourself to God, submitting yourself to the order that he has already won and not paying too much attention to the devil, but being aware of his tactics are the first things that you can do in the name of Christ to start fighting the spiritual battles that are going on in your life. Yeah. Is that why you name the book uh, Spiritual Warfare and the Discernment of Spirits? Is this where that comes in, sort of the, the discernment the aspect, human of it? A, the human aspect of, of calling on God and, and knowing 
where things are coming from. Yeah. So you're, the battle. you're, you're touching into now the, the warrior, the, the spiritual warrior of St. Ignatius, who he was, because the, the second half of the book is about him teaching you how to see when the enemy's attacking you, what thoughts he's trying to put in your mind. And he was a great warrior, a great Spanish warrior who got hit by a cannonball. He was a, a, he was a, a, a physical earthly warrior fighting wars yeah. and battles yeah. and armor. He was, he was very pugnacious. I mean, he's yeah. always getting in fights. Yeah. And then, he, you know, a cannonball, he started a fight with a neighboring, you know, city or, or you know, whatever. And, uh, and he was, he was put up in, uh, in, uh, in his sister-in-law's house. Oh. And uh, so apparently the only books she had were books about saints and the Bible, right? I'm going to talk to her in heaven and go, that's not the only book. Yeah, yeah, she had you just books. knew Ignatius was totally messed up and he needed to you know, come to Jesus. <laughs> she had the camera the right out of yeah. the house. So, that, so he starts oh reading God. that and then, he, and then he realizes the movements interiorly. Like when he, when he uh, visualized conquests, women, battles, he had to he experienced darkness. When he visualized being a saint, he experienced consolation. So that so he says at that point his eyes were opened a little. But then long term he begins to develop this this sort of warrior structure, the rules, like how does the devil work? How does God work? And he wrote uh, a number of sets of rules, but this book I cover, the first set of rules, one through 14, which are really for 99% of Catholics. It's, you know, how does the, so here's, here's one thing that he blows up that's really common bad advice. The bad advice is if you have peace, it's of God. That's not true. Because in the first rule, he says that if you're going from mortal sin to mortal sin, the devil will give you a kind of false peace and comfort in your sin. And God will make you really unhappy and uncomfortable telling you, you shouldn't be sleeping with that girl. That's my daughter. You're not married to her. You're abusing her and you're using her. You know, you're a Catholic, you know, you're baptized, you know, you're going to go to hell if you don't stop doing this. And so that's how the good spirit works, makes you uncomfortable with your sin. And the bad spirit makes you comfortable or it gives you a false peace. That's really interesting. Yeah. That's great. So movie, so I mean, it's, it's very powerful. And then rules two through 14 are about people like you guys going from good to better, right? You're fighting intensely. Ignatius uses the word intensely toward the good. And, and then he lays out now, here's how, here's how the devil works and here's how God works. And, uh, it's, it's, it's liberating for me. I, I came through, uh, I, I gained a great deal of health in Jesus as a Protestant. Um, I even went through a deliverance that uh, had a really, you know, powerful, it was a, a legit experience of liberation in Jesus name because of particular sins that I had committed and how I had acquiesced to the enemy's work. Um, and it was so deep that I needed to have a deliverance. But you always experience that uncomfortableness moving you forward and forward to, like, to uh, a deeper understanding of the faith. Well, yeah, because I, you know, I'm studying at this time, of course, mystical tradition and then the fathers, and it, it leads to an inevitable end in the Catholic Church. But after I became Catholic, of course, this, the grace of the sacraments and then the, the, the deeper dive into the mystical tradition, you discover saints like St. Saint Ignatius. And you realize, you know, I don't need Buddha to help me to find peace, this mindfulness junk that's popularized in the church. It's, you know, and so many answers. And and we look too quickly to drugs. We look too quickly to things that are not, you know, that are already in our faith. But I, I became free of the nightmares of the demonic manifestations of anxiety of, uh, and I live in a, a really, I now thank God a beautiful life of peace through 
living out the Catholic faith, right? And through practicing the spiritual disciplines that the church proposes through uh, the priestly ministry of receiving the, you know, the greatest graces we can receive is what you give us in the Eucharist or what you give us in reconciliation after baptism and confirmation. But then learning how to fight daily because, because yes, we don't make a big deal about the devil, but it is true that some of the thoughts in your head are not yours and you shouldn't listen to them. And he's constantly trying to get you to sin or to divide. That's Those a demonic are, obsession, that all that little thought in your head making you continue to think about whether there's a traumatic thing that you contextualize in your life that allows you to justify sin, right. whether it's a, um, a compulsion towards a continuous sin that yeah. people struggle with. Um, he's, they are always there making suggestions, allowing right. you to act on it. And, and that's where St. Ignatius just really steps out in the forefront of the church's tradition as a spiritual warrior, yeah. but also one who has just pinpoint precision in, in dialing in on these thoughts because angels and demons appeal to thought. Yeah, And then do. it is our entertaining of those thoughts. Doesn't mean that we can't generate our own thoughts or mm -hmm. that out of compulsion we act, but no, it's important to delineate between that. And it seems like you go into greater detail in this book in that specific delineation of this uh, discernment, the discernment of spirit. Yeah. So, uh, you know, every day, all day, the, there are two forces working in our lives. One is to bring us to heaven and one is to bring us to hell every day, all day. And when you understand those forces, which is the process of discernment, one, you're aware that it's true, that it's happening. Two, you understand what's happening and then you know what, how to act, what you reject or you embrace. You reject, of course, the works of the enemy and you embrace the consolation of God. But being the, the, what transforms so many of my students at the Avalon Institute, and this is another reason I wrote the book, 70% of the students we, we survey after they take the course Discernment of Spirits say that it totally, it totally transformed their spiritual life. They've said that, not me, on the scale of one to 10. Why is that? Because they realize I've been depressed for years, but that's not me. Well, oh, it's outside of me. Oh, I have the power in Jesus' name to be free. Oh, I can be free. Oh, God. I can be free. I'm, I could be free. And, and they, they get the realization and then they, then they start to fight and we teach them how to fight and they, we teach them how to renounce. Right. And what are they, some of those practical tips that allow them to start to realize how to fight back? Yeah. So, what, I mean, I'll just give you, uh, one example. It's in, it's what I learned in the, in the new Testament as well, but just renouncing in the name of Jesus. So like yesterday I had desolation uh, I taught the class, I'm teaching that class, Discernment of Spirits right now. I was teaching last night. I had desolation coming into the class. So I, I did what Ignatius says to do. One of, the, one of the things he says, when you're in desolation, the enemy likes to work in secret, like a guy who's trying to, you know, woo the, his, uh, a daughter of a good man or the wife of a good man. But as soon as, the, as, soon as you uh, reveal what the enemy's doing, because you're aware and you understand, because I'm aware I'm in desolation, and I understood what to do. Then you tell, he says, tell somebody who's holy, right? So I have a prayer group that's constantly uh, praying for me. And so I just text I, in WhatsApp, I put desolation. So then they all start praying. My wife calls me. She says, what's going on? I said, this is what's going on. And by the time we were done talking, the desolation lifted. Why? Why did the attack go away? I don't know why, you know, we're creatures that devils, demons are creatures, right? They're made a certain way. 
But in term, but similar to like a robber who's trying to steal something from your house and they come up to the house and the automatic lights go bing. So now everyone can see them and foil them. The enemy's the same way. So as soon as you know, and you tell somebody who's holy, it's just like putting the lights on and he flees and it, re- and it reduces his power. That is a oh, perfect awesome. definition of resistance. Right. <laughs> resist the devil and he will flee. Yeah. And we cannot resist alone, isolated. In so- we can't we can't do that. It's yeah. it's a battle yeah. and we cannot battle alone. And that's what I, we were sharing before the show. You were talking about you don't enter into like a, a circle of an exorcism or any other type of, you know, spiritual warfare without authority. Yeah. And how the bishop is the full authority yeah. in this in this battle yeah. and how he delegates the priest. I've seen in t- in certain circles of of uh, Christian healing ministry and other types of forms of uh, prayers of deliverance where they where there's groups that separate themselves from the priest. I'm wondering if you can comment a little bit more about that particular battle uh, in relationship to exorcism, some of your experiences, as well as uh, contextualizing that authority. Yeah, so I've been in a, a number of exorcisms assisting a priest. About how many? About twenty-five wow. full full right exorcisms wow. in 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 a very d- extremely difficult case. You know, it's like movie sort of stuff. Yeah. And uh, when I when I was trained for it, you know, the priest said, "Listen, you know, I know you know this, but uh, do 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 not do anything that I don't tell you to do. Do not pray anything I don't tell you to pray. You 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 have to be in perfect obedience. Why? Because you're entering into an incredibly dangerous space. There's a person who's legitimately possessed." And there's power in that room that can wreck you. And the only way that I'm safe as a layperson and the priest is safe is that they perform the right as the church has dictated and as is given to them authority by the bishop. And the only way I'm safe is, well, and we're also safe by this, is by being in a state of grace. You cannot go into an exorcism if you're not in a state of grace. Meaning that you would go to confession before... before You go to confession or just normatively. So we go to confession frequently. And and often there's, we off, the priest will offer confession to each other in at, because most exorcisms have more than one priest and they offer it to one another and to whoever's doing the prayer support like we were doing. So you enter in and, and because you're in it and the enemy wants to get you to engage, why does he want that? Because I don't have authority. As soon as I step out and engage, I've just broken. And the demons are very legalistic because they they know you know they're bound by the structure, yeah, the authority you know. of their creator. Right, right. <laughs> so, so the priest will tell you he will try to get you to talk to him or want to get you to fight. Don't don't do that. The priest will tell you he will try to get you to take on the suffering of the victim. There's actually been a case of possession that I think Father Ripperger talked about where somebody did that and and somebody was possessed instantly because they the demon told them to do it and they but they didn't know it was but they had compassion. So you gotta manage your emotions, you gotta manage your mind, all of that. So so now back to your question. This is the problem with uh deliverance ministry that is not under authority. Like so I've been involved in some of that under authority in the sense that um Uh, like unbound is a real popular thing and and there's a lot of good about it. But the thing that I would say that every Catholic involved in that should do is one, they should be doing it under the authority of the priest and two, it should be tied to the sacraments and to the priesthood because in just about every one of those sessions, what do you discover? Unconfessed mortal sin that's tying you back, unforgiveness, whatever. How do you solve that? Is it solved in that session? No way. It's helped. 
But the liberation gives you the freedom of the will, which is what exorcism is about, by the way, to go where? To go to your priest and to confess your sins. Uh, confession is, a, is more powerful than exorcism. The right of exorcism is less powerful than what you do every time, you know this, every time you say, I absolve you in the name of the, you know. So uh, we, we need to be more tied sacramentally to priest, to the priesthood, not just running off and doing these deliverance things on yeah. our own. I yeah. so appreciate you really underlining that for our audience, as well as just you know living that out in your ministry. Um, I, I say this in, in respect to marriage counseling, because I do a lot of counsel for married couples. And, you know, when there is sin active, and this isn't to denounce the work that counselors do or psychologists do, sure. that, that can help sincerely. But when there is sin between spouses that is unconfessed, right. you're not going to rebound. That's right. You will not rebound. You don't have the strength of you grace. You do not have the strength of grace. And you will persist in that depression, that anxiety, and that conflict yeah. as long as you want, unless you go to confession. confession. Yeah, That's I think exactly. it's really important to note that the the most uh, efficacious and powerful weapons in spiritual battle are the sacraments. It is Eucharist. It is confession. That's right. It is uh, chrismation. It is the sacramentals that will assist you. Those are your side pieces, you know. But those are all tied to the, the sacramental grace and the, the priesthood. priesthood. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. And that's because that is the way that the authority of Christ is exercised in our earthly tribe, in our earthly lives. Yeah. And it's very dangerous when you step outside of that. And I don't like deprecatory prayers prayed by uh, lay people in that uh, context. Because, I mean, what I mean by that, sorry, technical term, commands. You, if you, you, the only person who has the authority to com to speak to a demon directly to someone they is not part of their fam family line is a priest exorcist with the authority from the bishop. Um, so as a lay person, like for you, if you were troubled with something, I, I would, you would never hear me say in the name of Jesus, I command demon X to leave Ryan. Yeah. That people without the proper authority, you know, a police officer can say you are under arrest and you are under arrest because they have been deputized and they have the authority right. to place you in that state by those words. Yeah. Now, you could do a citizen's arrest, but good luck arresting someone with a citizen's arrest. I, I you think know? there is definitely a distinction here where I know some people who have a prayer group and then someone's like, you know, I'm, you know, hoping for this petition or I'm struggling with so, such and such. And everybody just prays over. Them. That's fine. That's fine. Right. So there is a distinction here. I think that's. But, but then once you once you start saying words of prophecy, once you start saying words of um you know, command over someone. Yeah. I, I have to be very, very careful of that. Yeah. I've got to discern what I'm receiving in prayer. I, I've seen it so many times because I'm charismatic. I've been in a number of charismatic circles of prayer yeah. where somebody says something over someone and now this has disturbed them ever since then for years because they've believed it and it wasn't even coming from God in the first place. Gotcha. It wasn't because if the, the fruits, if the fruits of the spirit is freedom... And if St. John Paul II is accurate in, in stating what scripture, you know, explains yeah. is that Christ set us free for freedom's sake, and, and this isn't the fruit of this movement, well, it's, it's not a part of God. You have been, you've been constrained by this, and this could happen in mm -hmm. circles that are ha operating without yeah. authority. Now, there's something when you were describing, you know, what you do under spiritual attack, something that I learned uh, was... 
you know, I do not have to go there. I do not have to entertain this. I rebuke you, Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a yeah. sinner. Cover me in your precious blood and protect me from all evil. And and that type of a it's like immediate grace that that hits. And out of curiosity, could you share a little bit more about um what you do personally yeah. that other lay men and women can do personally in their own spiritual warfare that they face day and, in and day out. And then also talk about your um, your spiritual warfare uh, course that we yeah, course, we're, we're on yeah, free course. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. So they can further that. Yeah, so w- what I do personally is um, always in a state of grace, um, by God's grace, uh, frequent confession. Sa- the, sa- the sacramental foundation is necessary for that armor to actually even exist that you yep. read about. Uh, then beyond that, I pray Exilium Christi Norum prayers for the laity every single day, which is a worldwide community of people who are involved in deliverance ministry. What was but that again? So Auxilium, that I- A-U-X-I-L-I-U-M-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-O-R-U-M. Sorry, I said no Latin today, but Exilium <laughs> Christi Norum, it's a worldwide community of people who pray for one another against the work of the enemy. And, and it's seven minutes a day. And every lay person can do this. You can find them online. There's an app. Cool. You got to pray the priest for the laity, not for the priest, uh, not, not the prayers for the priest. But so I do that every day. Um, uh, and I do examination of conscience three times a day, aware of uh, just of the movements of God or the enemy in the sense that I ask myself on a scale of one yeah. to five, am I in desolation or consolation? Mm-hmm. And it, it, why do I do that? Because earlier you said, you said, you said I, there was a thought that came and then I rejected it in Jesus name. Mm-hmm. As men, when you're trying to be holy, you have this idea of custody of the eyes, right? That's easy to understand. But you own the thoughts in your mind and you can control them in Jesus name by God's power. It, it, sometimes it takes a long time, mm-hmm. but you, you said you were aware of the, the influence and then you took action. So I have a, a constant need and especially because of my background and in, in, in particular suffering, and I'm melancholic, I have a constant need to go, okay, where am I? Am I good? Okay. Am I in desolation? Okay. I gotta, what do I got to do? You know, awareness so, of yourself. Yeah. So I actually pr- live what I wrote about and yeah. it, because it's necessary for me to be free. But I really believe in our time that every Catholic needs to know this wisdom that St. Ignatius gives because for whatever reason, demonic freedom is increasing in our yeah, time. Yeah. We yeah. see that a lot. Right. And, and this book will sincerely help you. So make sure that you check this out. Spiritual Warfare and the Discernment of Spirits by Dan Burke, our guest today. Dan, it is a joy to have you here. But before we go, we are going to have Dan explain to you where you can find his material. And he has a wonderful opportunity for you that you do not want to miss a webinar coming up very, very soon. So, Dan, if you could share a little bit more of like how people can find you online, what websites you own, and then how they can get this webinar. SpiritualDirection.com is thousands and thousands of articles on and blog. Blog, uh, blogs, uh, I'm blogs. I'm sorry. Blog uh, posts. Uh, yeah, Articles. What, blog what is this? What are we doing? Podcast. Uh, <laughs> podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Gosh, I'm barely tongue tied. Okay. So podcasts that we do and all of that. Um, and then avala-institute.org is uh, we provide graduate studies and personal enrichment to people in uh, uh, lay, lay 
priest religious in 74 countries, I think now, mm-hmm. preparing men for seminary in 15 dioceses as well. Um, but uh, in terms of, I put together a mini course that's free for you. If you get the book and then you want to go a little deeper and, and you don't have to pay a thing, if you send a text to 38470 is the number. Kyle, so Right. And then you, and then you, the message that you send is warfare. It'll ask you for your name and an email address. We'll send you the link and you'll get a free uh, uh, course. I think it's uh, 14 episodes, videos on cool. uh, diving into each of the rules of oh, discernment yeah. and the foundations That's of discernment. That's very generous, Dan. Yeah. yeah. So Thank if you go you. to catholictalkshow.com and you go to this show's episode page, below the video where we have our show notes, I'll make sure that I put links to spiritualdirection.com, yeah. the Avila Institute, where you can get the book Spiritual Warfare and the Discernment of Spirits, and a reminder on how you can text this code WARFARE to 38470 and get this free course from Dan, helping you to start preparing and learning the tactics of spiritual warfare. Great. And Dan, may God bless you and your beautiful ministry. May he continue to guide you by that gentle shepherd's touch. And you have done such a wonderful job in his name. And we thank you for sharing your beautiful testimony and the beautiful work that God has inspired in your life. And we want to give a big thank you to our patrons out there that support our show financially. If you're considering supporting the show so that this content and so much more may continue far into the future, please consider becoming a patron through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash the Catholic talk show. And there you'll be able to see every way that you can support our show. And please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. There you'll be able to see links to all these beautiful things and people that we're interacting with week after week. And we want to make sure that we're developing our communion and our fellowship with you. A big, big thank you to each of you. Please keep us in your prayers as we pray for you. And we are united in Christ. And in that authority, we have nothing to fear. God bless. St. Michael, defend us in battle. Amen. Amen.